0: Hello, and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 33 of the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. It's uh, a bit of a somber podcast today. Uh, I'm sure that you've already heard that the World Juniors is not happening anymore. Cancelled. COVID-19 strikes again. The Omicron variant proving too great uh, of a challenge to continue the World Junior Championship. The decision made by the IHF Council in concert with the uh, medical group and the COVID-19 committee um, that that were involved in in the tournament and trying to keep everybody safe. And as we now know with the Omicron variant, it's everywhere. It has uh, infected many even though they are have been vaccinated. And um, the good news is is that it seems to be milder at least in those that are vaccinated and uh, you know, minimal, impact at least in the short term we just still don't know a lot about it but I wanted to put a special podcast together obviously I was too busy to do it during the juniors because everything was changing and it changed very rapidly so before we get into the opinion section I figure it's just important to reiterate the the reporting of of everything as well and I wanted to do that because you know I assume hopefully that you'll you'll check out the stories that I've done for, for daily face off and also for Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. That's hockey sense.substack.com. We'll get into that pitch later. But essentially the 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 series of events that unfolded that caused the world juniors to end started with um two American players had tested positive for coronavirus. And as a result, the protocols as they were Um, And and these evolved as well, required that the entire team had to go into isolation until they could present two negative tests, until each player and staff could present two negative tests to have their game against Sweden on Wednesday night. USA was in that testing protocol uh, throughout Tuesday and into Wednesday, and then on Wednesday, I started my day by trying to find out if we were going to have a game that night, if the U.S. was going to play. Um, I had kind of started to surmise that the, that the game was, you know, was, I was hopeful that it was going to happen, um, but was it wasn't very clear to me at that point um, if it would happen. And, and of course, on, on Tuesday night, U.S. ends up forfeiting their game against Switzerland. They go into that testing protocol, and all they can do at that point is wait. That's all they can do is wait and hope that everybody tests negative. Turned out that both players that tested positive who were retested did test positive again. That then put the U.S. team in this situation of, are we going to play? Well, everybody else tested negative. They had that other round of testing later that evening. I believe in that that round of testing, everyone tested negative again. Um, And so... They would have been able to play the game theoretically, but in the interim, as things deteriorated further, the game between Czechia and Finland was canceled and postponed or canceled and forfeited by Czechia because there was one positive test in their team. And that's when concerns started setting and there were going to be other things because the previous positive cases had mostly been confined to Red Deer. Now they were in Edmonton. Fast forward a little bit later, I'm starting to wonder if this thing is going to happen. So I start working sources and trying to find out if there's anything that I can do to uh, to get a, f- a handle on what it would take for the tournament to continue. Um, and the answer to that was, you know, not a lot of people knew at that point. Bob McKenzie then, uh, I think this was like around noon or so, Bob McKenzie tweets that the game between Russia and Slovakia is also canceled, with Russia forfeiting because of a positive test and having to go into isolation. At that point, I knew we were probably headed towards cancellation. Um, there were now three games that were postponed or were canceled and forfeited, and so that's when I started to realize this is gonna, this is probably gonna go wrong. You start hearing about things, and then all of a sudden, you know, I get word there's a meeting coming. And, and that the the cancellation of the tournament is on the table. And at that point, I felt if that meeting was being held, more than likely than not, the tournament was going to be canceled. Um, of course, we then learn later on that they have this meeting, the decision is made to cancel the tournament, all teams are notified, and uh, at least the team administrators are notified. And then... um it, it, it was over. And so that's really, it went so fast. It was in about a matter of maybe two to three hours tops where things went from we're going to have games and then there was a cancellation, cancellation. I think as soon as that Russia game was canceled, everyone knew at that point the tournament was compromised in terms of the integrity of the of the actual sport. You know, they, they called it the sport of integrity in the press release from the IIHF. And I agreed with that. I thought that was the right decision. Um, And, you know, basically with the way that the protocols were set up, there was no chance for this to continue. The problem is, is that I feel like once Omicron started getting out of control and you have to recall, all teams arrived on December 15th, December 15th, Omicron was known, but it wasn't fully raging the way that it is now. Um, you may recall on my last, uh, you know, I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to go to the tournament. I ultimately decided not to go because I thought it was too unpredictable and I didn't want to test positive because I didn't want to stay in my hotel room for 10 days because that was the isolation period and still is. And that is what the players that tested positive are still going through right now. And so I made that decision knowing, not never thinking that the tournament would be canceled, but I want to take one step back just to go back to the the beginning of that because when the teams arrived in Edmonton, based on my sources, it, you know, they understood certain things and there were a few questions. I'll have a question and answer and I'll have plenty to talk about in that as well. Um, A lot of great questions with people and I, I wanted to see what you all wanted to know about. Um, but just to give you a thing, I think if this tournament was going to succeed, they would have had to have anticipated a lot of things that were not anticipate. You could not anticipate the Omicron variant being one of them and the, the transmissibility of it and how easy it was to transmit. You know, I think they would have had to have said no fans. They would have had to said that the teams, the teams stayed in hotels, as you probably heard by now, the teams were staying in hotels that had other members of the general public in there with them. And because of that, the decision was made to go from daily testing. The tournament at the beginning was not going to be having daily testing, at least as it was understood by the participants of the tournament. Um, And so that was a very interesting kind of wrinkle. It's like, okay, well, we know we have contact with people outside of the, what the ihf was calling the protected environment which is different from a bubble because it was not a bubble um it really was not the people that were helping in the tournament were not staying within the bubble either as they were at the beginning so that is you know kind of where we where we were what had to happen was that somebody would have had to have said we need to make sure that the hotels are are exclusive to the teams. We need to limit interaction from the players with the outside public. We need that people, you know, people that if they're in the tournament are in certain testing protocols and are not going, you know, not staying at home, all of those things. There's a lot of, of that that they would have decided. Um, But going back to the beginning in hockey, Canon and the double IHF did say that teams did not want a bubble like they had last time. Uh, They didn't want it to be too restrictive because At that point, coronavirus, they knew everybody would be vaccinated and and everything like that. What really changed was the protocols that would happen, what would happen if the players tested positive. Um, I was able to speak with someone with direct knowledge of the pre-tournament protocols, and they shared this with me, um, that this is the specific wording from... Um, from the document uh, that the teams received, because I was very curious to find out what did the testing protocol say before it, and this is from that document: a player that is determined to have been a close contact with a confirmed COVID-19 positive will, a if vaccinated or fully recovered from COVID-19 within the last 90 days and not exhibiting symptoms, not be required to isolate, but will be required to submit to daily antigen antigen testing for three consecutive days post-contact if they are exhibiting symptoms they would be required to submit a pcr test and isolate until the test result is negative followed by two further antigen tests 24 hours apart if unvaccinated that player would be required to self or close contact would be required to self-isolate for 10 days and submit to antigen testing every 48 hours for the duration of self-isolation. The player in quarantine due to a close contact will be required to follow all rules and procedures. So essentially before the, the, and these I believe were agreed upon somewhere in around November where where that was made clear. And this was before they really had a good handle on on, um, coronavirus or on the Omicron variant. So that was the close contact rules then those rules changed where everyone on the team became a close contact and would have to go into quarantine. So that was a huge change that was very frustrating and upsetting to the teams on site because they didn't know how the tournament could continue if that was going to happen. Um, And then they, they had to retest and all this other stuff. And so, you know, that that's where we were at. So the positives would be isolated. If you, were vaccinated or recovered and not exhibiting symptoms, you were allowed to remain, you didn't have to isolate. So that meant you could still practice, you could still play. Um, And then that changed. And so when that changed, it really changed the dynamic and the feasibility of the tournament um, at that point. But that was the local, you know, that was essentially what they did. They, they, They continually had to adapt the rules over and over and over again to try and keep pace with with Omicron. And unfortunately, the virus was faster than they could potentially ever react to it. And like I said, a lot of the decisions that they would have had to have made had to be made way before. So now you probably have seen that the IHF Hockey Canada... The local organizing committee they've gotten a lot of flack they've gotten a lot of of criticism and and a lot of it has actually come from players and coaches as well i mean the finnish coach uh, went to ilta sanomat in uh, in finland the paper there that um that he uh that, that he felt that this wasn't a covet issue but a tournament protocol issue um even though there were positive tests they basically thought you know that we still could have played given the the number of players that weren't positive and that was the case back in 2021 when the last world juniors um, teams were able to play even if they had positive cases on their roster uh, as germany did and as long as they had the minimum number of players acceptable to play they could play um that was not the case this year and it you know that that was a change that they weren't really prepared for so that was really what what shook things out. Now, the IHF and Luke Tardif, the, the president who is, unfortunately for him, in his first several months on the job here after being elected over the summer at the IHF Council, um, he's had a tough go because he's had to cancel the Under-18 Women's World Championship and cancel the World Juniors in the middle of it. They are saying that they are hoping, uh, the IHF is hoping to do a feasibility study in the coming month to determine a cha- uh, an opportunity to re uh, reschedule the World Junior Championship and the Under-18 Women's World Championship, along with the five other tournaments that were also canceled for January. That was done before the World Juniors started. The reason the IIHF felt that the World Juniors could continue is because they had already had all the players arrive in Canada, go through 48 hours of, of, of uh, isolation and testing protocols, and then... You know, Once all the teams were cleared, they felt like they were going to be able to keep things under control. How wrong they were about that. And again, I think that we have to cut some people a little slack. I know we want to blame people. We want to throw uh, everybody under the bus. But this variant of the virus significantly changed the dynamic. If the you know if the test if the hotels were exclusive to the players, but they were still selling tickets in the stadium, there's really no telling of whether or not there the the players still would have been able to catch the virus because of how easily transmissible this is. It's an airborne disease. There's a lot of different ways that you can get it. So that is another thing that they just I'm not sure they there was so much they could have done. Really, what probably as Omicron raged, I think they were trying to do everything they possibly could to get this to get the tournament underway, get it going. We did have a number of games, had some great moments in the tournament, all of that essentially wiped out at this point because there the tournament was not completed and basically, as a result, never happened. Um, but. There's hope to have this event in the summer. That's easier said than done. We'll get into that later because I do have a few questions from, from listeners about that. So we will get into that later. But that is at least the plan. And again, it's easier said than done. So moving into kind of everything else. The IIHF announced that there were six additional players that tested positive from various countries, including two from Sweden, one from Canada, one from Slovakia, one from Germany, and one from Russia. So we were heading down this path anyway. Um, Also, a number of on-ice officials contracted coronavirus, so that significantly hindered their ability to staff games. Um, And yeah, I mean, it was a mess. It was a mess. It, it, it was a mess that was exacerbated by something that nobody really could control. And of course, you know, we wish that there was a different outcome, but unfortunately there was not. And I do think that while the teams did not want bubbles uh, as there was last year, while they didn't want it to be too restrictive, I don't think that having the general public in a hotel with the players was a decision that that looks very good in hindsight. But again, I want to, I want to stress there very easily could have been spread in the arena anyway. So it's hard to say if you want, and they had to sell tickets, right? They had to sell tickets. And this was the, the whole reason that Canada had this tournament at all, because this tournament was supposed to be in Sweden this year was because they took on the burden of the bubble last year, took on the burden of playing games without fans, took on the burden of the, the, many expenses with very few revenue streams outside of TV rights deals to cover those costs. So, the IIHF decided at the time we felt like hey, maybe we'd get out of this pandemic within within the year. Obviously that didn't happen. Great happy 2022 almost. Um you know, basically they they said okay, well, this is our way of 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 replacing that Edmonton was sold. I mean, tickets were sold for this tournament. And then the regulations locally changed that they could only have 50%. Um, That meant a lot of refunds and a lot of logistical costs already on top of that um, went even further. So it's, it's, you know, basically it became a mess and compounded in, in Hockey Canada. Ultimately, you know, you can criticize... You can criticize the tournament organizers and the double IHF all you want, but you there were consequences for them. So I I think, yes, they're getting a public spanking right now, but more than anything, they're eating a lot of cash right here um, that was spent in the hopes of completing this tournament. And ultimately, you know, the players felt there was some level of failure. Um, I do think that there were things that could have been done differently. Hindsight is easy. I feel like it's too easy for us to say that at this point, even though I know the frustration of the players and the coaches. I know the frustration and disappointment of everybody involved in the tournament. I know my own frustration and disappointment with how things went. But I do think that we have to be fair in our criticism. And I think that there were elements of this that were preventable and there were a lot more that weren't. And that's where I think we have to continue to put the focus I do want to share, however, because I think that it's important to understand the perspective of the people that were there, some of the commentary that came out in the aftermath of the tournament. I shared on Twitter on Thursday a, and two Instagram posts from Slovakian goalie Simon Lakozi, who is currently playing for the Madison Capitals in the USHL and is committed to play at the University of Nebraska-Omaha, um, and I thought it, he 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 gave a very impassioned um explanation of kind of what they experienced um the disappointment and everything else so i'm going to just share this and, and and share a few thoughts on what simon said here and this is a remember this is a player that was in there um had played in a game had had, had you know he's, he's he's had some success at this event in the past he's a clark cup winning goalie with the chicago steel last year um you know this is a kid that that really had high hopes for the season so let me, let me just tell you what Simon Lakozy said if you didn't see this. Um, I would like to say a few words about this World Juniors tournament. It is a joke. Nothing else is true. How is this even possible? Every single player has been preparing for this tournament for a days, months, even years. This is the best part of the junior hockey. I was so excited to play at this tournament because I know how many people watch that and how great an experience it is. It is a celebration of hockey. The best players at once all together. Christmas time without families? Hard to imagine, right? We give everything we can to to hockey every day. Even spent the biggest holidays without our family. And I can tell you one thing. It is hard. I came here and tried to do my best. And this is, is, and this is how it is done. This goes on the IHF. They completely underestimated this tournament. The organization from the first day was terrible. I felt like I'm participating in some basic youth hockey tournament. We all know that COVID is the main problem nowadays, but this is nothing similar to, with COVID. All of us know that last year, the World Junior Championship took place as well in Canada. Same city, same purpose, and it was to avoid COVID and have hockey. Even though there was a team in Germany that had a couple guys that tested positive, but all other players could still play, and we all know that COVID was more dangerous last year. Last year, we spent the whole tournament in the bubble, just our hotel in the rink. It was crazy, but It worked. The people who worked for us in the bubble were with us all during the tournament. They did not go home at all. When I compare it to this year, we came a couple days earlier and quarantined at our hotel to make sure that that there was no COVID after traveling. Great. Everything went great. No COVID cases after traveling. So where is the problem? We all lived at the hotel where we also lived lived normal citizens. And our hotel was also a barbershop, a restaurant, and a boutique where normal people were welcome to come. The restaurant was packed every night. We were in contact with people who were not part of the tournament all the time. The funniest thing ever is that there was a wedding at our hotel today. What a joke. The people who worked at the hotel or waitresses who worked for us went home every night. True, everyone has been tested every day, but we know that the positive cases do not have to show up right after being in contact with someone. So how does it make sense? Only a couple players from teams were tested positive. It has never been a whole team or half a team. Why the negative players could not play? Why everyone recommends vaccine when the rules are still the same? Yes, I am vaccinated and every single player of our team is. Did not make a difference. Why did IHF not try to find a solution to continue the tournament? They already lost a lot of money. money That money has been wasted for nothing. They could at least try to figure something out, how to finish this tournament. They did not. They decided to end the tournament like it was some pointless couple of games for some random guys who spent the holidays in Canada. And then he also goes on to thank Hockey Slovakia and the team and and the players and 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 everything. And um, but that's that's the emotion and and you feel for the players because this affects them greatly. Obviously, they were the ones that were were banking on this opportunity that to 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 play at the World Juniors and to have an opportunity to, to win a gold medal and or, or just compete and and prove themselves. And also for a lot of these guys to get scouted and everything else. Lacosi is undrafted. He's a guy that you know is trying to trying to make a name for himself. So. Um, as he mentioned, there was a wedding reception plan. The Slovakia was in the same hotel with Sweden and the U S. Um, uh, again, you know, I feel bad for the couple that, that, you know, that their wedding day is became part of a firestorm a little bit, but, um, that was a major concern because it, it brought a lot of people into the hotel that were from outside of the, the, you know, the normal circumstances. Um so that was the emotions there we heard from yeah, as i mentioned uh the coach Antti Penanen from uh Finland um said that uh he's very angry and and that it was a joke and that he felt the organization was terrible and they were playing in in Edmonton where things conceivably were better than they were in Red Deer or at least there was a little bit better infrastructure there so that was interesting as well um but I do want to get to some questions because I think that a lot of what happened raised a lot of questions. And so I wanted to give you guys a chance to um, to drive this conversation. So we're going to talk about those things and also talk about the plans for a rescheduled World Juniors, if it's feasible, how it would work, all those different things. So... Uh, let's get to it, and I'm going to start. I'm going to read off a few questions because they kind of cover similar angles, and it'll just give me a couple different jumping off points. But this one came from Chad V. What I would like to hear is more details on the, the team's positions on the protocols before they entered on December 15th. Were they aware about the hotels? Did they push back before that date? Also, if the tournament is to be held anywhere else in the world, would it still be going on? Lewis P. says. I had the had the tournament not been hosted in Canada, would the protocols have been different? And is it likely it would have not been cancelled? Two, did the double IHF really not anticipate multiple positive tests? And then this one from Dave Miller. Were the teams given protocols prior to the tournament regarding negative tests required in order to proceed with games? Two, did the protocols change and were teams notified of this? Were single rooms for players an option? All right. So let's tackle this one by one. Um I, is in terms of what the teams knew before they came in, all teams were notified that the, the tournament hotels were not going to be exclusive to the tournament. They would have their own floors, they would have their own opportunities, uh, to, you know, their their own areas. The rest of it, basically, they said, you know, stay away from it as best you can. However, when they arrived, when the coaches and the and arrived, I heard from multiple teams that they were very concerned that they were a little too close to the rest of the public. Um, and that there it was going to be very difficult for them to avoid um, interaction or you know crossing paths with the general public. So that was a concern, but there was absolute pushback at from from the federations about bubbling the whole tournament. They didn't want to play the tournament in a bubble. They didn't want to have hotel. Rink hotel rank They wanted to have them be and and at the time it felt like that was safer. So again, that's another thing where it's not completely on the double IHF. This is also the teams kind of got what they wanted in that. Um, I think there was some pushback and and certainly some concerns raised about the situation during the tournament by teams once they got there. You never really know until you see it. Um. And, you know, these two questions that, that are about if the, if this tournament wasn't hosted in Canada, would it still be going on? Very possibly it could be, um, the CDC recommendations in the U S for isolation periods are, are now five days, um, for 10 days in Canada still, um, if you test positive and then also if you're unvaccinated and had a close contact, it's that as well, um. All players, to my knowledge, um, in the tournament, most of all, most players that were eligible for the tournament were vaccinated. All of Team USA, uh, Lakosi said all of Team Slovakia, all of Team Canada, um, you know, those players were vaccinated. As we now know, the Omicron variant doesn't really care if you're vaccinated, Um, it's going to find a way to infect you. Um, I think if there were as many positives as there has been over the last two days, I do think it would have been very difficult regardless of where the tournament was held for it to go on. The double IHF lawyers would be involved. The doctors would be involved. Everybody would be involved. And there'd be a lot of liability kind of conversations had, um, and that would probably be what drives the bus is, is you know, we can't continue a tournament with this many positive cases, close contacts, um, and spread. Um, they wouldn't have wanted players to play while positive. I would say that the testing protocol very well could have been different if it was in another place. And I would say that the testing protocol is really where things changed. And when they said you needed two negative tests to come out of isolation as a group that and play in games, that's when things took a turn for the worse. And it really wasn't going to be possible logistically to do that. When the U.S. had their two positive cases, they retested. They were expecting results overnight. They didn't come until the next morning, so they didn't even know if they were, you know, how things were going to go. So that was already that's that's on a game day morning. They then tested early that morning, and I was told that the result or the 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 test, um, all the all the all the uh, um, the the testing um, data, uh, what was all the samples that were collected were physically driven to Edmonton to expedite those testing protocols to try and get the USA Sweden game to happen. So that that was another thing that that's what they were trying to do. Um I think that the double IHF anticipated that that positive tests were going to be possible to answer Lewis's question. I think they absolutely did. I don't think that they felt what they did not anticipate was that they were going to have to isolate more because they felt that if they didn't isolate more players or entire teams, that Omicron was going to start ripping through the locker room really quickly. Um, And so they needed to make sure that once a player tested positive, all of their close contacts were in isolation. That was the change that really made everything different. Um, And, Um, so I would say, yes, that there to, to, to go back to that initial question, I think there is a possibility that if it was in a place other than Canada, it could have gone on, but I think there are very few places where it would have gone on, including the United States for that matter. And even though, you know, we've seen different tournaments go well, um, to answer Dave's questions. Yes. All teams were given the protocols before the tournament. What wasn't clear was you know as i as i read earlier the 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 wording on close contacts was if you were vaccinated or had been infected in the last 90 days and exempt you didn't have to isolate even if you came into close contact because the players were all wearing masks they were following those protocols they had all been vaccinated so that that happened teams were notified of the changes of the protocols but the cha- they kept changing is the problem even over the course of the tournament Um, And then the the question that Dave asked, were single rooms an option for a player? I think that they were in some cases, but most players were roommate, had roommates because of, you know, space restrictions. I I believe, um, I think Scott Wheeler of the Athletica reported that he had spoken with Drew Camesso, Team USA starting goalie, and that he had his own room. Um, And so that was actually, you know, obviously you need to keep the goaltender safe. Uh, But you also got to keep him away from everybody. I think that that was probably the reason. And And I imagine that most starting goalies probably did have their own room. This next one is a lot tougher to answer, but it came in via email from Tom in Minnesota. And he said, I'd be interested interested in your own views on the caliber of leadership from the IIHF this year. They've been called out by coaches, players, and many other stakeholders in the game recently. If it's too thorny of a topic to address, I certainly understand as well. Well, it is thorny, Tom, but I don't mind wading into it because I think there's a couple of different things. I, I do think that there was, I, I want to say right off the hop here, that the decision to cancel the tournament, as much as I, I didn't like it, was the right decision. They weren't going to be able to continue with that many positive cases. I do think that there was um, a lack of strong enough leadership uh, when it came to the cancellation of the January events, including the Women's World Under 18 Championship. To say there was an outright cancellation with no chance of postponement, um, I thought was was short-sighted. I thought it was um, weak. And I also thought it was... Um, I don't want to say lazy because I know how difficult these events are to put on and how logistically the challenges that, that present themselves are are, are immense. Um, but I do think that they they didn't fight hard enough to for those tournaments to at least say we're going to find a way. After they took on incredible criticism, um, which the IIHF president, Luke Tardif, became very defensive over, and I felt he was almost more upset and i i felt he was more upset at the at the backlash than he was at the decision to cancel the tournament which was not a good look um and that that i'm talking about the women's world under 18s in this instance the tournament was canceled and he immediately said that there would be every effort made to have this tournament later on which is what they should have done for all the tournaments and he did say that they're going to try and reschedule all the tournaments but again super defensive in his in his answers during the, and also basically went on a media offensive, went on the Ray and Dregs podcast, did an interview with IHF.com that I thought was so remarkably tone deaf and pointless. And then to have not 24 hours later to have to cancel the entire World Junior Championship while essentially showing yourself for who you were with the women's under eighteen decision, I thought that was that was really poor, and, and I thought that that in terms of leadership that did not show good leadership, and I thought that that was a failing on Luke Tardif's part. However, I do feel it's that we have to give him some benefit of the doubt when it comes to how difficult it is to have come in and take over an organization as large, as political, and as complicated as the IIHF and do it during COVID times, do it during when when you are already losing money for various events that had to be canceled, having to cut off revenue streams, having to have events without fans, and all of these other things. He has an impossible job ahead of him. I just think that there were he 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 did not make good use of his time when it came to defending himself against the over the cancellation of the women's under eighteen worlds, and that bothered me a bit more. So let's talk about the potential for a restart in the summer. Christopher Maher asked if there is a restart in the summer. Tommy Martino, do you think the rosters would change much if the World Junior Championship was scheduled for the summer? Would they get younger kids? Would some of the kids that turn pro after the college season opt out? A lot of unanswerable questions there definitively, but I will say that that the logistics of hosting a tournament in the summer are greater than you probably would know. However, the IIHF does have practice with this. They did it for the Women's World Championship last year. They had to move the tournament away from Nova Scotia because of strong uh, protocols there, and, and that wouldn't happen. They moved it to Calgary they an- ended up having a credible Women's World Championship. They were able to award medals. They were able to escape with with minimal problems in terms of COVID. What I think is making right now difficult logistically, we just saw even the best planning that you can put together was no match for the the ever-changing landscape of Omicron. And so that was something that I think was really... that That is what I worry about for the summer is there are, is... Probably another variant that we won't know about until it's here, and we'll have to contend with that as well. And we don't know when it's going to hit, where it's going to hit, how how hard it's going to hit. Those are the types of things that that I, I'm concerned about. I do think that the, you know essentially Luke Tardif said that the June, July, and August are all going to be discussed as potential options for having a World Junior Championship, Women's World Under 18s, and the various other tournaments that they have to reschedule. What is going to be difficult is finding the location for that. They would like to do the World Juniors in Canada because they are the tournament host. If they relinquish those rights, they could potentially host it elsewhere. But I don't think that Canada can or should do that at this point, unless it's clear that they have no chance of hosting this event. But I I would also say that, you know, if they can find a way to have it where there is also still revenue coming in, that's a, a big thing because as I'm sure you've heard, the world men's championship and the world junior championship essentially fund all of the other championships that are held at all the other other divisions and that is a very important infrastructure within the IIHF because that is where everything else comes from you know we we see teams grow up you, you look at the world men's championship great britain is back in there how great is that for Great Britain to have, have have avoided relegation and to have have been earned promotion from a, a lower division? You know we've seen other nations We're see we see Austria in the World Juniors, we see Germany back in the World Juniors. Just so many so many things um, that run through that that need the the funding from these. Hockey Canada and the IHF are going to lose a lot of money on this most recent World Junior Championship. There's a lot that they have to do that is just will not be recouped. Um, It will especially not be recouped if they don't have an event in the summer. So what are the best, what are the reasons to have the tournament? The reason to have the tournament is to make sure is is strictly for the players at this point. Give them the opportunity to play in this event, which is both important from a scouting standpoint and also from a, a, a representing your country on the biggest stage possible. Many, many players in the World Junior Championship will never play in a better tournament or in you know, if they don't reach the NHL, they won't play in a better situation where they are essentially professionals, you know, the way that they, the way that they're treated, the way that they're viewed, the fact that all these games are watched by millions of people across the world. um, They'll never have that opportunity again. So there should be an effort on behalf of the players, men's and women's to make sure that those events are replaced and taken care of. To get to Tommy's question about the rosters changing much, I think they could. You think about Matty Beneers and Owen Power and Kent Johnson, and you know, will they sign NHL contracts? And if they sign NHL contracts, will their teams even loan them to the to the? They'll have a say in whether or not they can come to the tournament. Mason McTavish was a guy that you know they he he was sent back to junior, so he was eligible, um, you know, things like that. But but the NHL teams still have their rights. We have a Stanley Cup final to go through. It looks like the NHL season, they're trying not to delay it, but how can you, even with the Olympic break wiped out, how do we move games? You know, when when, when will we have a Stanley Cup playoffs? We don't know. There's still so many issues in Canada right now that those teams are still contending with. How many, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, how many players are just going to want a break in the summer? If you're a college player, your season ends in April. How much are you going to be able to be ready to essentially start your season in July? Um and lose time to gain strength, to do all the things that you have to do in the in the off season to get ready for the the current season. That's a missed opportunity. Um you know, also they said you know, they're the just for clarity, any player that was eligible to play in this tournament will be eligible eligible to play in the later tournament, even though many players will turn 20 by the time that that tournament rolls around. so they won't technically be under 20 at that point, but that won't matter. It's all about the 2002 birth year is the latest birth year that can be in there. Um, but you've got you've got the NHL draft to contend with. you've got all of these other scheduled events um, and in the end, you know is it safe? Is it the right thing to do? Do we know what'll happen? Do any players trust Hockey Canada and the IHF to be able to not have a situation like this again and then ruin another tournament? That's the other thing that they're gonna have to decide as time goes on. So I hope that answers most of the questions. We don't know for sure if there will be a summer tournament. We hope there will be. I certainly would like to see it. Um, But there is a lot left to be decided before that can actually happen. So fingers crossed that it does. There's a lot of moving pieces that have to go exactly right. All right, this next one comes from Paul in Ottawa, and this is going to get away from necessarily the the COVID portions of the tournament. We're going to talk a little bit about the hockey that happened there. I'm glad that I got some questions about that because there were some great moments in the tournament. So let's get to that right now. All right, this next one, as I mentioned, comes from Paul in Ottawa. Who were your biggest omissions? Healthy players left off their respective countries roster. I think the biggest ones were probably from... Uh, Russia not bringing Jan kuznetsov and Daniel Cheka to the to the tournament I thought was a mistake I thought their decor looked overmatched in the one uh, the games that I got to see them play um Sweden and Switzerland um, even the Swiss I think you know gave gave the Russian D some problems that was probably I think the two two of the bigger ones of the whole thing. Um, you know, certainly for Canada, Hendricks LaPierre who played NHL games this year, I don't think it was like a huge omission, but it was still surprising to see a guy that played NHL games, not make the roster. Um, and you know, beyond that, there weren't a ton that I, I felt too strongly about because some of the other absences like Thomas Bortolo and Atu Ratu were because of COVID. Um, and so that was uh, disappointing, uh, to see, um, The second question from Paul is how do you like the current format? 10 teams with relegation promotion. And would you change it if you were in charge? And Paul, I get asked this often when it comes to world junior time. And the answer is an emphatic. No, I would not change the format. I know that we see lopsided games like Canada's game against Austria the other night. That was definitely difficult. However, I took us some posi- I took some real positives out of that entire process because, though Austria was completely overmatched, they never stopped playing. They never stopped playing. Their goaltender was getting absolutely shelled. He stayed in there the whole time. Never yelled at his teammates. Never shrugged his shoulders. Never got completely, completely, um, you know, rattled. Even though he was playing against the best team in the tournament and couldn't, you know, he, he was, he was, he was doing the job. The other thing is that for those players, this experience is valuable. Every coach that I've talked to from places like Denmark, Austria, Germany, um, you know, teams that come in and out Kazakhstan, Belarus, Latvia, the opportunity to play in this tournament in front of these crowds against these players against guys that'll be in the NHL, is a huge moment for those players. It also helps them prepare for the World Championships because a lot of these players, the highest level that they're going to get after this is the Men's World Championship. They're going to play professionally in Europe. They're going to have opportunities, but they're never going to really have a chance to play against the best of the best, and this tournament affords them that opportunity. On top of that, you need to have a carrot dangling for all of the other teams to achieve something. Promotion and relegation at the bottom of these tournaments is vital to... I think the growth of international hockey, the growth of national team programs, and it basically forces everyone to get better. You wanna you wanna be in the world junior championship? Fine. You have to earn your way. I think that's a great way to do it. We're always gonna have the the major countries and that there are only gonna be a few teams that really truly have a chance to win the gold medal. But the world juniors isn't simply about entertainment. It isn't simply about the top teams. It is about the entire infrastructure of international hockey. And I think that the way that they have it now, 10 teams is perfect. I would not want to see them lose any teams because I think that as we've seen, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, they're going to ebb and flow. So will Germany, some of these other countries. So I I still think that that the format works. Uh, Chris Picone asked, top five players you thought stuck out in limited... limited games. So it's tough because, you know, I think my, my, my brain has gone in a different direction. Um, and, and also I wanted to point out Thomas Erickson asked with limited action, we did see who was your top goalie, three forwards and top two defensemen. Thanks and keep up the great content. Uh, so since Chris asked me for five players and Thomas asked me for essentially, you know, a five players plus a goalie, Um, I'm going to answer a bolt this way. I think that the the best individual performances that I saw, obviously Connor Bedard's four goal game was impressive. And and that was incredible. I thought he was one of the better forwards. Matvey Mitchkov was by far the best forward for, for Russia. And I, I love the way that he played. Um, you know, I think that he showed what he can do. So those two young guys did exactly what I wanted to do. And I thought they were among the top players, um, in the tournament. Cole Perfetti. For Canada was was lights out. I thought he was brilliant. Owen Power, Jake Sanderson, Simon Edvinson, Jesper Wallstedt would probably be my top goaltender. I thought Drew Komeso played very well in USA's game. Um, Yaroslav Askarov had another tough outing at the World Juniors, and then he you know things end this way where he can't even redeem himself. Uh, very disappointing there, but I think a lot of those guys that I mentioned. Mason McTavish was p- spectacular as well uh, for Canada. You know, so those are, you know, I know you guys asked me for five, asked me for position players. I covered a lot of ground. Topi Niemela for, for uh, Finland, I really liked his game too. And then Brad Lambert, Samuel Hellenius, and Vili Koivinen, which was a line for Finland, were really good um, as well, just playing smart, hard hockey and, and, and doing really well. So I really enjoyed those elements uh, that we saw. So um, I would say that, yeah, it was – The hockey that we did get to see was pretty darn good. And I'm really excited to see that um, continue and hopefully in the summer. Um, This is World Junior adjacent, but I'm glad that Matt asked this question. Matt Gordon asked, what do you see the world men's under 18s looking like? Would it be in a bubble? How likely is it to be canceled? That last part is really difficult to say. The Germany is scheduled to host that tournament in late April. Um, that That is the plan at this point. The last World Under-18s was held in a quasi-bubble where the teams stayed in hotels that were exclusive to the tournament. They played, there were fans. The players did not interact with fans. They did not interact with media. Everything was done over Zoom. That's how things ran in that tournament. So that was another uh, thing there. I think the Under-18s will look similar to that if it's gonna happen. Um, I think that we'll have to wait and see. Um, but the Under-18 World Championship is a is a vital scouting event. It was really one of the first things that came back last year that, that allowed us to see the players for the, the forthcoming NHL draft. And now when you look at the the number of young players that were involved in the tournament this year, um, and Logan Cooley, Shane Wright, um, Danili Urov, Brad Lambert, Joachim Kamel, all those players um, would be eligible to to play um, in the under eighteen worlds. This, unfortunately for Slovakia's guys, their their team is not in the top division right now, so um, that's that's just kind of crazy uh, how everything worked worked out there. But um, I hope that it'll happen. I hope to go to it if it happens, but I still think that there's a lot left to be determined on that front. So. Um, also, I got, I got a question from Jake Baskin about uh, whether Nate Lehman would return as head coach. And I'm hoping to talk to Nate soon, um, not for the podcast, but for a story that I'm working on. Um, and I don't know uh, if they do the, the rescheduled thing in the summer, if he wants to come back next year for some unfinished business. I don't know. It's a big, uh, it's a very time consuming job. Uh, you also have to recall, you know, you, you have to respect the fact that he is a full-time coach for the Providence college. I also think that there's a really strong possibility that NHL teams are going to be taking a long look at Nate Lehman as they have the last couple of off seasons and that he could very well move into the NHL by that point and wouldn't be available. So there are a lot of different things that come there. Um, you look at, they got the entire staff back from last year's team, Steve Miller, Chris Mayotte. Um, David Lassand and you know they they had they had a really good staff um, of people Teresa Feaster as well um, and, and including the support staff so they they had a good thing going and I think that they they are feeling like they very much have this unfinished business so maybe if they reschedule for the summer we could see Nate Lehman behind the bench maybe not we'll have to wait and see um, but I think he's a great coach and I think that he did a really good job with this U.S. team um, and and I liked the way that they had prepared and and everything else. So um, real good team, real good opportunity um, to, to, uh, to probably, uh, you know, competed for a gold medal. It would have been real tough to get through Canada, but now we're never going to, we're never going to know unless we get it in the summer and it's all the same players, but I don't think that that's necessarily the way it will be. Um, You know, it's been a tough couple of days. Uh, You know, I, I don't, you know, I may have broken the story and all those things, and that's, you know, good for professional side of things, but it's been really bad to lose the tournament. Um, and my heart goes out to the players because that's who it's about. That's who it's for. And to see the disappointment from all of them, to see the disappointment of the coaches, um, that's what everyone was trying to avoid and they and, and they couldn't. I think this is also another example of of the things that COVID has has continued to take from us. Um, It's been a lot of take and we've tried to do what we can by, you know, many of us getting vaccinated, many of us making decisions to, to, you know, stay inside, mask and all those other things. And it's very exasperating at this point that what we've done over the last almost two full years hasn't been enough. It's very challenging to get through that. Um, and to, to fully understand that and to, um, you know, see, see not knowing where, where the end is at this point. I also think, and, and I know this is, this is where things get a little bit prickly. I think that we're reaching a point now where we are going to have to make some decisions on calculated risks and things of that nature. Um, and how we continue to go about our lives living with COVID. Um, Fully understand, I I think that we should continue to listen to the doctors. We should continue to listen to the people that, that, that are trained in this. But I also think that we have to make some compromises along the way, even though the virus doesn't seem to want to let us do that. The good thing about the Omicron variant so far is that it doesn't seem that bad in terms of when you get it, you know, you will have some symptoms, but they might be more similar to a cold and things of that nature. And I'm not trying to minimize the fact that COVID-19 is a very deadly disease that can kill people and has killed hundreds of thousands of millions and all these other people. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's terrible, but as we've seen, like, you know, if, if, depending on where our priorities are in terms of what we can do with, with testing and limiting spread and all those th- things um, you know, the continued asymptomatic testing of players while is a, is a preventative measure um, is also, you know, not what the rest of the general public is essentially doing. Um, so, you know, because they're athletes, because they're young people, I think that we have to protect them in certain ways, but I also think that, um, when it comes to testing and as particularly of the asymptomatic, um, there could be, you know, there could be more, we're going to lose more things. Um, and I can't go to the local hospital to get a test unless I've, you know, presenting symptoms or had a confirmed close contact. So that's, you know, that's, that's what we deal with in the general public. Athletes are dealing with daily testing. Um, and, you know, this, it, it, is it, is it tamping down the spread? Is any of that actually doing anything to work against the spread? And if, if we want to have events and, and losing the world juniors right in the middle of it is kind of a flashpoint. Yes, it's a Canadian driven event in terms of interest. But it is a world event where we had players in a relatively low-risk um, cohort of, of, of individuals. But of course, there are coaches that certainly were older and could have been higher risk as well. So respect for that. Um, and, and to have it wiped out in this way, I think it's at least going to have to force people to start thinking about, okay, how do we move forward And and is there a path forward? Is there something we can do differently Um, to be able to play the games, to be able to give these players the experience, to be able to give them the opportunity to uh, represent their countries or to just play for their regular teams and not lose games and to be able to continue in their development. And I'm talking from the top level all the way down to the grassroots. Um, I've been extremely cautious throughout this entire pandemic fully vaccinated, boosted, all those things. I've tried to do everything as close to by the book as possible. Um, and and have done, done so with, for my family, I made the decision to not go to the tournament based largely on my concerns about the Omicron variant and, and, and the fact that it was spreading so quickly. But I do also understand that there's got to be a point where we we do have to end up living with this, and we do end up having to 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 make compromises, um, and also assume a certain level of risk. And I, I, you know, if if I'll continue to listen to the doctors, I'll continue to do all that. But but I also understand now that you know having as we continue to lose things and players lose out on experiences, opportunities. Um, I do think that there is that we do have to start viewing the impact of that as well as the health situation. I don't have all the answers. I certainly am not a doctor. I'm not an expert. Maybe anything I just said didn't make any sense. Um, and I'll wear that if, if that's the case. But it was a tough day. It was tough to see the World Juniors. It was tough when the World Under-18s were, were canceled for a second consecutive year. Um I just don't think that uh the way things are going right now we can really anticipate a a quick end and a quick solution to anything at this point. It's kind of a bleak way to end things, so I don't really want to do it that way. Um I do want to say you know my hope for 2022 as this is the last podcast of the of 2021 my hope is obviously for a healthier world for a, for an end to the COVID uh, pandemic for all those things, for, for us to continue to be able to, to live our lives as normally as possible. Um, and I do hope that we do have a world junior championship in 2022 way off in the distance there. Um, and we'll see about Nova Sibirsk as well, because that's coming up too. <laughs> so, so we've got, uh, that that'll be next year, um, for the World Junior Championship. But, yeah, it's it's been it's been a wild ride. It's been a really tough couple of days, and I really hope that everybody out there, um, you know, is taking care of themselves, doing everything you can to stay safe, and also, uh, making the decisions that you feel is best for you, um, and and that you are most comfortable with. And I think we do have to give each other a little bit more time. We have to be a little bit more patient with each other. We have to be a little less uh, finger pointing, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen um, anytime soon. But I just want you to be kind to each other, uh, especially as we move into a new year here. I want to thank you so much for the support and that you've given me by listening to this podcast, by by um, visiting the Hockey Sense, by visiting Daily Faceoff, by following my work and supporting my work. I received a lot of nice messages over the last few days about the coverage, and I'm glad that t- t- that you enjoyed it whatever little there was. And a cert- certainly I got to be the bearer of bad news on more than one occasion. um. But, you know, and we didn't even talk about the Olympics. We will get into that in my next podcast. We'll talk about that extensively. David Quinn now, the head coach of Team USA, John Van going to be the general manager. We'll have a lot to talk about there as well. Uh, but I wanted to keep the focus on the World Juniors, wanted to keep the focus on you, the listeners that that had the questions, and I wanted to try to answer them as, as, as well as I could. Um, and I hope that I did that. And I hope that you enjoyed the podcast. As, as as somber a subject as this is, as unfortunate as it has been these last several days, um, the good news is is that we're going to turn the calendar here to a new year. We're going to have an opportunity to hopefully start anew and, and hopefully... Uh, Everything will start going a lot better um, because uh, it certainly feels like it can't get much worse right now. Um, but I think that all of you out there that that are listening to this podcast, there there will be brighter days ahead, and I can't wait for them to come. I will continue to cover hockey as long as it is happening. I will continue to try to give you the most in-depth insight that I can. I will try to uh, give you the very best experience on this podcast and on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters and dailyfaceoff.com. And I I just wish that – that all of you guys uh, will will continue to support this, and, and certainly I'll continue to do the work. But thank you so much for, for all of that. If you want uh, to support this podcast, please do subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review. Also, if you would want to monetarily support my work, you can do that by paying for a subscription on Hockey Sense, at, and that's HockeySense.substack.com. A lot of stuff up there. I have a column on the end of the World Junior Championship and what comes next. I have Post game recaps of Team USA games. There' a lot of in depth looks at the various teams before the tournament, um, as well. So if you want to go back and 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 imagine that the tournament happened, um, and, and try to play it off in your head, or I guess you can play it off on on NHL 22 now, um, then then do that. But yeah, it's 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 been a wild ride. I don't know how many times I've said that. But I'm glad that uh, that you've been able to follow along with it, and I wish that we had better stuff to talk about. But that'll have to happen next week, I hope. Fingers crossed, everybody. Hope you and your family have a very happy New Year. I hope that you have a lot of fun and, 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 and are safe on New Year's Eve and certainly going forward as we try to navigate this ever-changing society. Uh, but let's hope uh, wherever we go next, there's going to be hockey. Thanks a lot for joining me on this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.